talk about it. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm here for people who grieve. Um, I mean, if you need to talk to somebody who knows about losing, I, I'm your guy, right? I mean, if you want to make yourself feel better about your team, I can show you my team, all right? I mean, the band and the cheerleaders of my team are all in the transfer portal right now. They're looking for somebody else. I know it was a rough night. It was a rough night, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Really, really, I, I mean that. I mean that. As much as I can muster emotion for a back-to-back defending national champion, I, I feel bad for you. Uh, some of you had a good night. Um, we can't celebrate you. It's, uh, we're 30 miles from Athens. It's in our bylaws. Like we can't, as much as I would like to, we can't, we can't celebrate you. I'm glad you came. Look, you showed up. Those of you who didn't come, yeah, we know. We see you. We see you. Uh, but you came. You came. You're here in spite of a difficult night. And uh, I, I am so happy that you're here just to see you. Um, we, we're going to get to the, the uh, series in just a second. I want to update you. Uh, renovation continues forward, just it's coming together, looking great. Some of you came to the Christmas kickoff last Sunday evening, and we took a little tour, gave you a little tour of the building, so some of you got to see it. We're going to make that available for others of you in the coming weeks, but uh, just... Thank you so much. Thank you to those who are giving um, our 2023 Christmas offering, end of year offering, all going towards that project. So hopefully we can, we can finish that without any debt, without borrowing any. If you need kind of a way to think about where we are, um, here's kind of this children's area is what we're renovating, adding six classrooms, children's worship area, restrooms. Uh, check-in area, all self-contained, uh, so it'll be more secure. And uh, it's about 5,000 square feet, about 5,000 square feet comes out to about $110 per square foot. So if, you're, if you want to buy a square foot, if you want to buy five square foot or 10 square foot, 1,000 square feet, if you'd like, like to do that. It's about 110. We, we have enough to pay for about 3,000 square feet right now. So we're about 2,000 square feet. That's kind of our goal to get us over the hump. So just as you're praying, another way to look at it, uh, about $110 will pay for a square foot of our renovation. All right, Christmas at the movies. There are some, this is my theory, not saying this is in the Bible. Okay, this is my theory. My theory is that there are certain movies that are so well known that none of us like to admit that we haven't seen them. As a matter of fact, a lot of us aren't even sure whether we've seen them or not. Right? They're, they're so much a part of our culture. They get quoted all the time. Quotes are on t-shirts and coffee mugs. They show up on social media. Clips are in commercials. They're ubiquitous. Like they're, this time of year when it comes to Christmas movies, there are certain movies that are everywhere. You see them all the time. You've seen little snippets and clips of certain movies. And so... You may not know that you've seen it, but you think, I, I don't think I haven't seen it, 
right? I don't think I haven't seen it. I think I've seen at least enough of the clips to kind of know what the idea is. Therefore, you never admit that you haven't seen movies, those particular movies, because then that means you're not in the club. Right? You, you don't have some sort of cultural cachet by virtue of having seen this very well-known movie. So there are, again, my theory, there are certain movies nobody admits that they haven't seen. Today's movie is one of those movies. You just don't admit you've never seen this one probably, even if you aren't completely sure you've seen it the movie is it's a wonderful life now some people have seen it and you know you've seen it some people watch this movie every single year it's a part of their christmas tradition to sit down and watch this movie every year but when the subject comes up i'm thinking there's a lot of us and you're not supposed to lie in church but there's a lot of us sitting here this morning that if it came up we would nod oh yeah yeah watch that yeah, I remember that. I remember that scene, and and then you tell the one scene that you know from the movie, so you're in the club. Okay, with that as the setup, how many of you can definitely say I've watched It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, hands back down. How many of you can say, I think I have? <laughs> Some honest people. Yeah, thank you. So I think I. I, I I think I had not seen it. Yeah, that's the way this movie is. It's so much a part of our culture. It came out in 1946. Um, it was based on a short story called The Greatest Gift, which was loosely based on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Uh, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, um, oh, what's the lady's name? Donna Reed, exactly. Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed. It's Donna Reed's first starring role. She'd been in some other things, but this was the first time that Donna Reed was the leading lady. She was the star. She was 25 years old. Jimmy Stewart was 38 at the time. Donna Reed's 25, kind of launches her career uh, because of this movie. It was not a box office success. Maybe you know this. It was not a box office success. Did not earn enough to pay for the cost of the movie. And negatively reflected on the director-producer who was in charge of it. After this movie came out, and it was kind of a dud, uh, got a lot of mixed reviews in, in 1946, the, the, the director, everyone looked at him as if, well, he's kind of lost the ability to make a good film. So he lives with this for much of his life now, this sort of what seemed like a failure of a movie until about 30 years later, 1974, the copyright license for It's a Wonderful Life lapses. It isn't renewed. And so it becomes public domain, and television companies can show this movie without paying licensing fees or royalties, and that's when this movie became a part of our culture, really, because all of these television companies, they would show this movie over and over again at Christmas. Uh, for some of you, this movie is a part of the background of your Christmas celebration. Right? You turn the TV on and you let it play. This is why you're not sure if you watched it or not. Because it's playing in the background while you're eating dinner and you're visiting with family. It's on the TV. You've seen certain scenes. Uh, 
This movie becomes, ends up uh, being named not that long ago as one of the top 100 films of all times, but it, it didn't really start out that way. So, for those of you who have not seen the movie or aren't sure if you've seen the movie, let's recap the movie. The movie starts with people praying. There's this, this, they're cutting to different people, and they're all praying for George Bailey, and we don't know why. At the beginning of the movie, you don't know why everybody is concerned for George Bailey. But what we, what we know is that George Bailey's, uh, the prayers for George Bailey are being heard in heaven. Because we're let in on this angel conversation about what is happening on earth. People are praying, heaven's hearing, which, let's just pause right there, just a reminder, heaven hears your prayers Heaven hears, not angels, by the way, not angels. God actually hears your prayers. Uh, some of us come to the Christmas season and somebody is on our heart, somebody is on our mind, some relationship is heavy on our heart. Maybe, maybe there is um, a sickness or somebody's fighting a disease and they're weighing on us. Let's not forget as we step into Christmas, God hears those prayers. God's attentive to those prayers. God will respond to those prayers. God doesn't always respond in the timing that we would like. He doesn't always respond as quickly as we would like. Sometimes he doesn't respond exactly the way we wish he would like, but God can be trusted and God hears our prayers. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 18. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Your, your cries, your prayers, the joyful ones and the broken ones, the hopeful ones and the discouraged ones, every single one of them. And you're like me. Sometimes we pray and we're not sure it matters and we feel like nobody else is listening but us this is what the Bible affirms over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, prophets, Jesus, Paul, Peter. They, they affirm over and over again, God's listening. God's listening. Whatever you bring to him, he's listening. He's attentive. He's ready to respond to those things. In the movie, angels are having a conversation. They realize they need to send somebody to help George Bailey and Clarence Oddbody, interesting name, Clarence Oddbody, Angel Second Class, is chosen. Now, Clarence is Angel Second Class because he hasn't earned his wings yet. Right? We, we learn in the movie, dude's been trying for 200 years, can't pull it off. Right? So there's not a lot of confidence in Clarence's ability to solve this issue. Matter of fact, the angels are kind of going back and forth about, is he the right guy? Should we really send him? One of them describes Clarence as, he has the IQ of a rabbit, but the faith of a child. Simple. Like the one who makes the decision admits, like, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Man, but he's, he's pure, and he's got a good heart, and he has a simple faith like a child. So against the, the protest of the angels who focused on his rabbit IQ, this particular head angel decides to focus on his simple faith and sends Clarence to help George. Now, before he can help George, he needs to know George. 
And so the movie gets going with Clarence reviewing George's life. And those who are watching the movie, we have this perspective of we're watching George grow up. And, and, and we meet a young George in the beginning of the movie who has all of these dreams and plans. Already as a young boy, he wants to travel he wants to see the world. He wants adventure. He wants to get out of Bedford Falls. He wants to really live his life. So he has this huge plan. He has these huge dreams, these, these huge goals. His, his father owns the savings and loan. George isn't interested in taking his father's position because he wants to get out. He wants to see more of the world. He wants to experience more of the world. So he has these huge plans, huge dreams, at the same time, we meet a young George who always seems to be at the right place at the right time to help other people. Uh, his brother's ice skating falls through the ice. George happens to be there and pulls him out and, and saves his life. George loses his hearing in one ear as a result. George is working in a, a, a pharmacy soda shop, and the pharmacist dealing with his own gr grief almost adds poison to a prescription and George catches it and sees it and stops this from happening. Now this, this dual trend continues all throughout George's life. I want to go away. I want to see the world. I want more for my life. His wish, you're there at the beginning of the movie, he makes a wish uh, throughout the beginning and his wish is I want a million dollars. I want a million dollars. I want to travel. I want to go. I want a million dollars. So he has all of these wants and desires while at the same time he's having these opportunities to be at the right place at the right time to help other people. As he and Mary's relationship is beginning, George tells her his plans for his life. Watch this. What'd you wish, George? Well, not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I know what I'm gonna do tomorrow and the next day and next year and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm gonna see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon. What'd you wish, George? Well, not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I know what I'm gonna do tomorrow and the next day and next year and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm gonna see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were oh, you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? tonight can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What'd you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, no. tell me. If I don't, it might not come through. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. And most of you have seen that scene, right? Whether you saw the movie or not, the whole lasso, you remember that one. George has got his whole life planned. This is what I want. And I know what I'm going to do today and tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. I'm going to go here and then I'm going to do this and everything is going to work out just the way 
I want it, and we all know that life doesn't always do that, does it? James says this over in the New Testament. James writes, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Usually I talk about this passage in relation to the brevity of life, and, and James says, look, life's a mist. But, but, but I, I think there's also a good application for just how firmly we hold to our own plans. That maybe what God wants is for us to have plans, to have visions, to have goals, to say, I would like this, I would like this, but to be able to hold to them loosely, to know that God may redirect what we think. Most of us are old enough to have had plans and, and ideas and thoughts, and God closed some doors. God redirected some of our path. What we thought our life was going to be is not exactly what it turned out to be. And in that moment, we have to decide, am I, am I going to be angry? Am I going to be discouraged? Am I going to be disappointed? Or am I going to ask, God, what are you doing with this part of my life? God, how are you leading this part of my life, a question to ask. What if God looks at our list of all the things we're going to do? What if God looks at our list and he knows it won't bring fulfillment? What if God has a better list for your life? It's not that none of our plans ever come true. It's not that planning is bad. Certainly it's not bad, but sometimes we have to recognize, God, you have a better list for me. You have a different list for me. You have a different calling for me. It may not be easier. Sometimes it's more difficult. Sometimes it's harder. But maybe God has a better list than the one you keep coming up with. See, God had a better list in the movie, a a different list for George Bailey as he's wishing for millions of dollars. He's having, in reality, the opportunity to, to help people who needed it, to step in to write moments. He has a chance to, to lead the savings and loan to a, a set of circumstances. Father passes away. The, the, the greedy Mr. Potter is going to get the savings and loan and, unless George steps up, and so he does. He st- steps up, gives his college money to his brother, and, and again, the list, the plan is his brother would go to college and then come back and run the savings and loan, and then George would go to college, and that didn't work out either. But in those disappointments that he experienced, in those detours of his list and his plans, he had opportunities to help other people because of his generosity, because of his compassion towards people. The people in Bedford Falls were able to get a loan from him at a reasonable interest rate. They they were able to get into a, a home that they would never have been able to get into if George was not A man of integrity establishes Bailey Park where reasonably priced homes could be purchased at a reasonable interest rate. And while his dreams may not have been working out the way he thought they should be, he was helping other people with their dreams. Sometimes in our life, we have to ask ourselves, 
Are there times when it's more important that I get what I want, or is it more important that I help others get what they want? Is it more important that all of my plans come true, all of my dreams come true, or is it more important that I enable others, that, that I encourage others, I lift others up so that they can experience what they most want? Then the big turn in the movie happens. Uncle Billy is supposed to deposit $8,000, and Uncle Billy loses $8,000 somewhere between where he started and where he was supposed to be going. And when George finds out, he loses it because the bank examiner has just shown up. And if the bank examiner finds this $8,000 discrepancy, George is probably going to jail. And so he just lets Uncle Billy hold it walks out of the bank office door, leaving Uncle Billy in his tears and his depression and also with a squirrel on his shoulder. <laughs> you know, as bank officials do, right? You go to the bank, somebody has a squirrel on their shoulder. George goes home, is under such stress that he takes all of that out on his wife, on his kids, on his kids' teachers, and this is the moment that George runs to the bridge fully intending to end his life. And if we could just pause there for a second. Christmas is always a time of year where for some people, the worst and most negative of emotions bubble up to the surface. Maybe not every year, does it happen to the same people? But the holiday blues are a real thing. Holiday discouragement. And sometimes we know why. Sometimes we know why this particular Christmas is increasingly difficult for us. We can kind of put our finger on it. But sometimes we don't know why. Have you ever had a, that season in your life where you just knew, if you're self-aware enough, you just knew, I'm discouraged, I'm down, I don't know why it's... It's, sometimes we describe it as a cloud, right? It just kind of settles over us. And a lot of people struggle with this in the Christmas season. The Christmas season, in some ways, magnifies these feelings. Because we know, somehow we know inside, we're supposed to be happy. We say, Merry Christmas. We sing songs about joy. Everybody else is happy. The songs are happy. The decorations are, we are supposed to be happy in the fact that we're not, which is a reasonable human emotion. But the fact that sometimes we arrive at Christmas and we're discouraged and we're down, all of the Christmas stuff magnifies that in us. We think that something is wrong with us and, and there may not be anything wrong with you. There may not be anything wrong with what you're experiencing. It may just be the season that you're in. If, if that is you, if that is you, if you arrive at this season of Christmas and, and for reasons you know or don't know, it just feels heavy this year. You are loved. You are known and seen here at our church. You are part of our family. We love you. We know that God loves you. We know that God sees the emotion that you're feeling. And God is not in heaven going, hey, what gives? It's Jesus' birthday. How about be a little happier? 
right? That's not, that's not how God approaches us when we're wounded. That wonderful verse from, the, from uh, the prophet that says, God doesn't break a bruised reed. He doesn't snuff out a smoldering wink, wick. Like when we're weak, when we're struggling, God doesn't come in and finish us off, even at Christmas. And I know that's not where everybody lives this Christmas, but a lot of people do. A lot of people live in that this is a difficult season for us. You, you are loved and seen, and there are people who care about you, and if we can help in some way, if talking to somebody would help, if connecting you with a, 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 a qualified counselor that can help you walk through those times, I've had those times. Like there are seasons, not just at Christmas, but there are seasons in my life where I just know, because I can recognize the signs now, I just know, man, I'm in a funk. Like I, I'm down. And I don't know why I'm down. I just know that I am. And sometimes just admitting that helps. Just having the awareness that I'm here and I'm not always going to be here. But I, I need to be careful as I walk through this because I could say things more strongly than I intend. I could react in ways I don't want to react. Just having that awareness, just knowing, hey, maybe time for me to call my counselor. And say, I need to see you because... This is happening in my life. We walk through that. I don't want you to feel alone. I know it's a lonely feeling when that's you and everybody else is happy and celebrating Christmas. I want you to know you're not the only one who's experienced that and you're not the only one who's experiencing it now. George, George stands at the bridge ready to end it all and this is when Clarence Oddbody, angel second class, shows up and decides, really in a stroke of genius, decides to throw himself into the river knowing that George will forget about his own problems and he'll jump in and save Clarence and that's exactly what happens. And, and, and George begins to work through this idea of it would have been better if I had never been born. Like what if my life had never happened? He's at a point where he can't even appreciate the good that has happened in his life. So Clarence, seen the movie or parts of the movie, Clarence takes him back to the beginning and said, okay, this is what would have happened if you had never been born. You've probably heard of the butterfly effect. That's kind of this, this idea. The butterfly effect is like one small change somewhere in the world has all of these ripple effects down the line and everything else gets affected by this one small change and so Clarence says, all right, let's, let's take a look at, at what would have happened if you had never been born. Your brother would have drowned because nobody would have been there to save him. Later in the war, his brother saves a, a group of soldiers. Those soldiers wouldn't have made it because George would not have saved his brother. His brother would not have been to save them. He would not have been there to stop the pharmacist. A family would have been affected because somebody would have died in that in that family. So uh, Clarence is trying to walk George through. Here are all the things that would be different. Here's, here's where George begins to realize it. Look where are the houses? We went here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. 
see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? You really had a wonderful life. I know there are a lot of takeaways from this movie. Bigger ones and smaller ones. There's warnings and cautionary tales and some social commentary uh, throughout the movie. If, if there's one big theme that I take away from this movie, it's simply the theme that your life matters. Your life matters. Maybe you question that sometimes. Your life matters. It matters that you're here. There would be a void, a vacancy if you weren't. And we don't always see that about ourselves. Maybe we see it better about other people. Your life matters. And, and, and here's a related thought. Your life right now matters. Not the life you wished for or wanted or hoped for. Your life right now matters. Not that list of plans that you had one time and it didn't quite work out the way you, you thought. it. Not that life. Not the life you could have lived if you'd made some different decisions back then. Not, not that life. Your life right now matters. Not the life that you hope to have when you finally get your life squared away. Not the life as it's one day going to be when you make enough money and you have enough success. Your life right now matters. I know, you, I, I know your life is like mine. It, you've had disappointments. You've had things that didn't work out the way you wanted them to. You've had discouragements. You've had why God moments. You, you could probably like me you could probably sit down and think of a couple of ways your life could be better you wished it had gone i get it we all do that we all have that struggle your life right now matters right where you find yourself with all of the good things and the struggles with all of the successes and maybe what you see as failures your life right now matters and not just in a general sense although that's true and not just to other people even though that's true your life matters to God your life matters to God he values you he sees you he knows you the story of Christmas this is the theme the story of Christmas theme is that God loved us so much valued us so much that he would send his son for us born in a manger surrounded by shepherds and, and sheep and wise men God, God thought so much of your life that he gave his son for you not just to be born but to die that our sins could be forgiven, that we could be redeemed, that we could be brought into his family, that we could be brought into a relationship with our creator. Your life mattered to God. If your life had not mattered, if our lives had not mattered, we would not have Christmas. There would be no reason to send his son if our lives didn't matter, if there wasn't purpose and plan to our lives. Familiar verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And here's the next verse. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Christmas, Christmas is the story not of God coming to earth so he could tell us all how awful we are. Christmas is not Jesus coming into the world to tell us, you've made so many mistakes, you're terrible, you're kind of an awful person. He didn't come to condemn us. Out of his love for us, because you matter so much to him. Jesus stepped into this world to say, you are loved. You are treasured. You are created by an eternal God. Something else to think about. Sometimes the life we wanted, maybe this isn't for everybody today, maybe it's just for a couple of people. Sometimes the life we wanted keeps us from loving the life we have. Sometimes the life as we once saw it when we were 15 or 18 or 25 or 32 or whenever, that life that we once saw for ourselves, sometimes that life that didn't happen exactly that way keeps us from loving the life that is right in front of us, that is right now. The life that God has put purpose in. The life that God wants to use for his glory. The, the life that is full of good gifts that sometimes we miss because we're frustrated we didn't get other gifts. Again, James says it this way in James 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, God has put in your life, whether you see them or not, good gifts, good relationships, good moments and sometimes we so much want some other life that we've created in our minds we so much want some other life that we maybe think we deserve and maybe we do deserve it right you've been hurt you've been disappointed so have i but sometimes we so much want this other life that isn't there that it's hard for us to see the good gift that is right here in front of us Another thought. Be careful that you don't minimize your contributions and maximize your shortcomings. This is a struggle for George. He never sees the impact he really had. All he sees are the things he didn't get and the failure he did make. I lost $8,000. That becomes magnified in his mind instead of all of the people that he has helped in his life, the community that he has helped. We can be the same way. Right? Personality maybe plays into this some. But if we're not careful, we can remember every mistake we've ever made and we hardly ever think about the good things that God has done in our life, the contributions that we have made, the times that we have been present for someone. Don't maximize your failures. Like some of, some of you are like me. Like you don't remember the nice thing you did from somebody last week, but you remember the dumb thing you did in seventh grade. Right? And you're 50 now. Right? But you were, it's like you are there again. And that thing came out and the whole thing blew up. Like seventh grade. Don't maximize the broken things and minimize the good gifts that God has put into your life. And in doing that, remember this. Some of the impact of our lives will be hidden to us. Some of the good, 
positive impact of your life will always be hidden from you. You you encouraged someone and that person never circled back and told you just how much that meant to them, but it did. You met a need in somebody's life. You stepped into a moment in somebody's life. And that person's life got busy just like all of our lives get busy. And they, and they went on and they, and they think about that from time to time. They've never said it to you. It mattered. Julie and I... <clears throat> We went to Orlando, the, the front end of Thanksgiving, to be with our youngest daughter who works there and couldn't come home for Thanksgiving. And we did a Friendsgiving for like 25 of, of her and her boyfriend's friends. And we met a couple there, a, a couple our age, who have been missionaries with crew for years and years and years and years. And uh, Scott, early on out of college, Uh, went to a remote area of Africa and spent several years uh, as a missionary. And and part of how he tried to help the community was he showed them how to garden, how to to grow their own food and and to sustain that, how to find and, and make sure their water was clean enough to drink, how to dispose of waste properly in a way that wouldn't spread germs and contamination and and, and viruses. So he spent several years uh, sharing the gospel but also sharing these very much needs with that community. Not long before we, we met them at Thanksgiving, they had had the opportunity to go back to that same place. And when they got back there, many of the people recognized Scott from 25 years ago. And they were so excited to take Scott by the hand and show him their gardens and to say, Ever since you were here, we've been growing. This has been feeding our family for 25 years. What you taught us has been feeding our families. And they showed them how they were taking care of, of waste and keeping their community clean. And, and they talked about their church and, and the people who had come to faith. And they introduced their 20, 22, 23-year-old sons named Scott to him. And as we were talking, I was reminded of something I heard Chuck Swindoll say one time, many, many years ago. And I'm probably paraphrasing. I don't know if this is exactly the way he said it, but a paraphrase is that God chooses to hide most of our fruit for reasons we probably won't ever know till we get to heaven. Maybe it's it's protecting us from pride. I don't know what all the reasons are. I don't think we'll know all the reasons, but... For whatever the reasons, God just has a way of showing us just enough if we're looking for it. Like every once in a while, we get this little glimpse into that mattered. That was, that was important. That resulted in some. But most of the time, the good that you do in this world, a lot of that will be hidden from you, but it's there. It's there. And in those times of discouragement, We forget that. We forget there's hidden fruit. There's some fruit I've seen. There's some good things that have happened out of my life. Your your life, it matters. Your life matters to God. And God has this beautiful way of making your life matter to other people. 
Like this is a season people need to hear good things. Like we're, we're so quick to say the worst, to, to post the worst, to launch into arguments and take sides and point fingers and call names. Like this is the this is unfortunately the world that we're in day after day. This world that just seems to be hostile. And in that world, we need people like you who will say what is good, who will love deeply, who will bring peace and hope and goodness, realizing that a lot of the results of that you may never see. But God will use it in people's lives. You matter. This Christmas, every Christmas, you matter. God, we feel insignificant sometimes. And yeah, we look at the universe and the planets and how big everything is. And I, I mean, there, there is a, a part of it that, yeah, we're just kind of one little person in this whole universe. And yet, you know every person in this universe. The Bible uses that wonderful phrase, you know the number of hairs on our head. Not because we need to know that number, but just as a way for you to say, I know you. I know you. You matter. I know everything about you. And if there's anybody here that's struggling with that, Remind them this Christmas of your great love for them. A love that caused you to send your son because of them. Because they matter. In Jesus' name, amen.